0: I want to explore why we are still in 2019 operating on the under, uh, basically under the assumption, on, under the uh, the default position of elk are going to hang up out of range and they're going to swing down, around, swing around downwind. All right. Now there is no way in the world we're going to cover both those topics. Just too much to dive into. All right. So on the website I do go into depth I, there's both of these are touched on the doorway principle you're gonna hear me touch on this maybe a little bit but the doorway principle on the behavior series in the elk module goes into this about why elk hang up quote unquote out of range they don't hang up out of range they stop in their doorway just like we do in our house you chose the wrong setup point blank sorry It is. And I go into why that is, how they engage their landscape, how they move across the landscape, what they're expecting as they move into a calling setup and they hear another elk talk, and how you can look and identify that doorway on the landscape first, then figure out where you need to set up. So that way, literally, most of the time, and you can watch my videos, I show it repeatedly. I've got an entire section in there called Strategies in Action, where it's not even me hunting. I'm either in arizona or i might be somewhere else maybe i'm on a hunting scenario i just call in a bull that i'm not going to take or i'm just calling in elk so you can see here we go we got a bull bugling i think this is what's going on in this scenario let's use this calling strategy and let's watch it unfold and i call the bull in and he stands from here to you and there you go and the bull stops where he naturally is going to stop on his own i don't have to stop him that's the whole point behind showing you those strategies so you understand that if you get the setup right they will pause on their own within your effective yardage, as long as you pay attention and have that principle in your brain, the doorway principle, and spend some time picking it apart. Now if you want to dive into some ideas about that after the end with questions, we can do that. But, the reason why I wanted to choose the swinging around downwind part, all right, and I passed out cards, if you need a card, It's got the website on it, and I'll I'll mention it now, and I'll mention it at the end. But at the end, if you want to subscribe, as you go through the checkout, you type in, it says promo code, type in no limits, one word, it'll knock 20% off. You're talking like 20, depending on what module subscription you want, it's like 20 bucks, 40 bucks, it's cheap, it's easy. Phil, what is your number one selling broadhead that you're selling right now? What have you sold the most of? All of them. What are you selling the most of? Here's a, better, here's a better question. How much do they cost? How much does a pack of broadheads cost? 40 to 50 bucks. Does that broadhead package help put an elk in front of that hunter? Okay, no, it does not for 40 50 bucks. Have you guys sold any arrows this past couple months? One or two? How much does a dozen of arrows cost? 120, 150 bucks. You're spending more money so i would assume that that money goes to put an elk in front of you too right yeah no i'm telling you it's 20 to 40 bucks i try to price it to where everybody can afford it whether you're a working class stiff like the rest of us are or whether you're made of money it doesn't matter i try to price it to where it's economical and yes there's a lot of information in there we're staring down the barrel of a couple weeks before season but i've got the stuff Organized in there to where I think it's going to make sense, and you can chew through it, and you can actually get some good information, so you can hit the ground rocking and rolling, opening day or whenever you're going to be out in the field. All right, so take a card if you need it. I am. I'm. I'm seriously going to plug this because it amazes. Here's. Here's why. Here's why. I was literally on. I'm good friends with Jay Scott. Jay Scott Outdoors. He's got a podcast. Jay Scott Outdoors podcast. I've been on there quite a bit. All right. I love him to death. The other day he had me on. He had a guy that had some questions, wanted to bounce them off me, so we got on there together, so it was kind of a ground-robin, three-way conversation. And even Jay, Jay has gone through all this stuff. Jay is an exceptional elk caller. He He's guided and doesn't matter. The guy's good. And so one of the things that we're sitting there talking, and I don't know if it just came out or what, but out of his mouth, Jay's talking to the, the caller, and he said you know and it just it just just flat came out he's like and always remember that you know as that bull's coming in he's most likely going to be swinging around downwind downwind so you always make sure you cover that downwind side and blah, blah. and it was like a gut punch I'm like wait a wait wait a wait a minute why are we still it's 2019 we just got it done listening to a seminar about sitka some of you in here are as old or a little older than I am. When I was starting elk hunting, you had cotton clothes. Quite honestly, you had military surplus a lot of times, or you had mossy oak or real tree. It came out with that tree bark pattern. Oh my goodness, that was the, yeah, that was, oh, yeah, cotton, 100% cotton. And they sold it. They were like, it's lightweight and breathable, as it was a good thing. I was elk hunting in cotton. We don't have cotton anymore. We've got awesome materials now. Look at the bows. My first bow was a PSE USA Spirit that launched a 2315 at a whopping 200 feet per second. That thing was sweet. Okay? We have come a long way. Look at the calls we're blowing on now. We started out bugling with a piece of radiator hose. Okay? The sad part was it worked back then. Alright? We've come a long way in technology. And every single year I see people saying, oh, I need to do both. I need to do a set of arrows. I, I gotta have this. Or I gotta do this. I gotta buy this. I gotta buy this. I, I wasn't successful after you I gotta do. Okay, you can do that. Phil would love you to do that. And I want you to do that for Phil. Okay? However, how are we still behind the power curve on understanding the actual animal that we're actually going out there to to, to, to tackle and i mean that sincerely because there's a lot that, with youtube with the seminars with all the information that's out there and all the avenues where you can watch elk and you can see videos of elk. if you watch you can learn and i hope tonight We can kind of bake your noodle a little bit and get you to think about things a little bit differently than maybe you have in the past. First and foremost, how many people are absolutely satisfied with the performance that they have out in their elk season each year? Okay, awesome. Awesome. Good. Well, I hope that I can give you something to chew on tonight that makes it even better. Alright? But for the rest of us, Every single year I'm like, "Nah, should have I should have I should've done." Or I, like, nah, "Man, I ah, I sh- I wish I All right, there's always something that a little bit more, at least for me, that I want. Okay? So regardless of who you are in here tonight, I hope I give you something to chew on. All right. So, let's take this idea swinging downwind. Okay? Swinging downwind. Yes, does it happen? Absolutely it does. I'm not going to deny that it happens. I want to explore why it happens. All right? I talk on the elk module about how elk communicate. And in broad strokes, I talk about the concept of see you first, hear you second, smell you third. Some people confuse that and they think, "Well, smell you third? No, elk rely on their nose extensively." What do you do? Yes, they do. But we've got two different mechanisms going on in play here. If we're talking about communication, my handwriting is like a doctor. I wish I got paid like a doctor. But anyway, there you go. Communication. We're talking about communication. If an elk is going to use their nose, they're going to do so in one of two general fashions. Communication. Safety. That's the other one. They're not the same. They're not not equal. They are both in play but they're not equal. They use them and they focus on them at different times. So when we're talking about it from a communication standpoint let's separate these two right now and let's start with the communication. I talk about all the time, see you first, hear you second, smell you third. Elk are a herd species like cattle, like horses most of their vocal or most of their communication is body language, ear position, head position, shoulder, body mass, how they approach one another. How many people have horses in here? Anybody? Couple people. All right, couple people. You know, you walk in the pasture, you take one horse, bring it in. The, they don't even have to say anything. The ears go back. They come. Right here they come. They don't have to say anything. The body language speaks volumes. All right. Elk are a herd species. The vast majority of communication happens visually. Only when visual communication does not give them the cues that they need to suss out whatever they want to, you know, decipher, that's when they vocalize. Same thing. How many have experience around cattle, cows? Okay, handful. Do not be bashful. If you're sitting in here, you're gonna, I don't know, it's gonna be a bad night because I'm gonna be asking you all sorts of questions. Interact seriously. I want that feedback because I want to know where you guys are so I can tailor it how I need to. If we need to go one way or another, if you guys have got a pile of information and experience one way, I don't need to cover, all right? So don't worry about being embarrassed. Throw your hands up, okay? Most people, if you're driving down the road and you see a herd of cows, if you stop and you listen, and I'm talking about cattle, they're not out there bellering their heads off. Same thing with a group of horses. If you've got a horse pasture, you drive by a horse pasture, just do it. Next time, you've got some time, you see some horses, you see some cattle, just pull up, stop, roll the window down and listen. Are they saying anything? I'll bet strong money 99% of the time. No, they're not. They're quiet. Even if they're doing something, they're out there engaging one another, they're quiet. Why? Because they're a herd animal. Visual communication trumps all. And if they can see one another and they can keep tabs on one another through visual communication that's all they need now go take one of those horses out of the paddock and watch what they do listen to what they do go out in that pasture of cattle and separate the calves out of that pasture now listen to what they do they absolutely lose their minds now the vocalization start because they they can't see where their buddy's going. They can't see where their calves are going. So now that's where vocal communication needs to kick in. Alright, now if we take that one more step, visual communication isn't working, vocal communication isn't working or just lacking. If they want to decipher something, the next step is their nose. And when we're talking about communication, the nose comes last. All right? So, I want you to think. We know that when we're out in the field, it's a standard practice. You could probably go back to a 1978 copy or issue of Field & Stream magazine and find somewhere in that year somebody was talking about Getting windy because the elk swung around downwind. All right, this is arguably one of the top two problems that people vocalize, and whether they express me or you hear about it, they hung about a range, they swung downwind and busted. Aside from somebody else, you know, other hunters came in and, and blew the setup. All right, but let's think critically a minute. Whether You've been in Rocky Mountain National Park, Yellowstone, Evergreen, Conifer, shoot anymore, Loveland, Estes, maybe in the field while you're hunting. If you've witnessed one group of elk and they vocalize, And another group of elk joins them. Does that second group of elk swing around downwind? I haven't seen it. Now hold on. I take that back. Cows and calves, let's separate this out. And bulls. Let's, let's break those down into two parts. Cows and calves and bulls. If we think about cows and calves right now, and oh, by the way, one of the things I talk about on the website, especially it's throughout the... Different educational stuff that are, different segments. We've got getting started gives you kind of my philosophy and some overarching principles and ideas to get started. We have the foundation principles where you talk about some of these foundational behavioral stuff. Foundation principles of vocalizations: what what cows are saying, what bulls are saying, how they say them. And we have the gallery section where it's just me videoing elk, doing elky things. Just no calling. Most of the time it's outside of the season. So you just get to sit and watch elk interact in a wild, free-ranging set. How nature intended it. You get to see what happens. Who's vocalizing, who's displaying what body language, etc. That's the gallery. Strategies in Action, where we take all those principles, we go out in the field, and we put those to you. So, there's all sorts of different avenues in that website. Throughout all of them, however, when you are watching the videos of elk interacting with elk, if we're looking at cows and calves, I honestly do not, I cannot think of very many times, if any, that I've ever seen Cows and calves going and joining another group of cows and calves and swinging around downwind. I can't. Now, the other thing I want you to understand, that for those that are not familiar with me, from a behavioral principle standpoint, it's very hard to prove something to be. It's very difficult for me to say, here, this is what I believe, I will prove it. No, I gave you evidence to support it. But as soon as someone comes up with even one little thing that just kind of puts that in question, it may have just disproved it. So quite honestly, a lot of times, you can never prove something to be. All you can do is try to disprove it. And the more times you fail at disproving it, it just lends itself to be more robust. All right? So when I look at all the times that I've sat and watched cows and calves interact with one another, and at this point, we could even even talk about young bulls or elk that are interacting with one another outside of the rut. So let's take testosterone out of it for a moment. So even if we've got cows and calves and young bulls, a lot of people know that you'll watch a group of cows and calves, you'll have those year and a half old and maybe even two and a half sometimes even three and a half year old bulls that are still in with that cow-calf group. From a, From a behavioral standpoint those bulls are still young They still like that safety blanket of the cow calf group. And so behaviorally, they still need that support structure. Once they start getting that three and a half, four and a half, and older, that's when they become a little bit more independent. They start going off doing their own thing. So when we're talking about cows and calves, yes, you can throw a spike, a two and a half year old bull in there if you want. Outside of the rut, I really can't say that I remember a time seeing cows and calves approaching another group swinging around downwind now for bulls yes I can yes I can and most of the time if we think about it critically most of the time now I'm not talking about hunters right now I'm talking about elk interacting with other Elk most of the time when you think critically about it, and you see, say, a young bull approaching another group of elk sometime during the quote-unquote rut. And I'm whether we're talking end of August into October doesn't matter, but roughly sometime around that breeding season, yes, we can see when those bulls will come into another group And yes, they are visually seeking, you can watch their ear position, you can watch their head position is up, their antlers are up, their ears are forward, they're coming into that situation, but you absolutely can see those animals swinging around downwind. Why? Is it from a communication standpoint? Maybe. I would argue... From a communication standpoint, cows and calves, really, there's very few times where they have anything to lose if they're going to approach another group. However, if we start getting into the rut, we start getting into September, let's just say, early October, there are times that a young bull or another bull could stand to lose something if he just marches right in on, say, a herd bull with his cows. If he doesn't know who that other herd bull is, and he being the younger of that group, or smaller of that group, comes in and he's a subordinate animal, he might get his butt whooped. He might actually get the absolutely ever-living blankety-blank stomped out of him and get a set of antlers right through the flank. Alright? So, I would argue that we can see bulls swinging around downwind, and yes, they are using it from a communication standpoint. They're swinging around downwind to scent check that situation, to see: Do I know this bull? Is it somebody I know? Is it somebody I've already dealt with? Is it somebody I know who's pecking? You know, whose dominant status I already know? Did I did I go fist to cuffs with him? Or am I a young bull? I don't know. I come around. It sounds like there's some cows and calves over here. I'm interested. But I come around and I whiff. Whoa. Nope. There's a... No. That's a dominant bull. Ooh. Now I've got to be careful. That is communication. He's getting information through that. However, I will argue the reason he's doing that is for his own personal safety. He doesn't want to get... Stomp down. He doesn't want to get gored. He doesn't want to get his butt whooped. Typically, you see younger age class animals being cautious in September when they engage another group of elk where they believe there might be another bull in that group. So I can absolutely say yes. Elk will swing around downwind. But if we look throughout the year, the other thing I talk about all the time. You will hear me talk all the time about getting rid of testosterone. Get rid of it. Ignore it. Dismiss it. Testosterone is the most frustrating wild card that you can ever throw into an equation and try to figure out. Because there's going to be some days you go out in the mountain, you blow a cow call, blow a bugle, and they about stomp on you and run you over. And you're going to be walking on cloud nine about here, and you would be like, yes, this works. And so the next day, you go out, you do the same thing, and you can't buy an elk. And the next six days, you wonder what the heck happened on the mountain, because I swear I was a superhero just the other day, and I called in every bull on the mountain, and today I'm in the same spot, and I can't, I can't do anything. What the? Testosterone is frustrating. But if you look at the rest of the year, January, June, July, December, I don't care. Get rid of testosterone out of the equation, and then you start watching elk doing what elk are going to do and communicating and interacting with one another, you're going to find out there's a heck of a lot of similarities. What they do in January is what they do in June and July. And what they do in September is what they do in March or April. So if you can get to those underlying behavioral interactions that have nothing to do with testosterone and you know how to use them and work them, then you can just completely negate the testosterone. I don't like to try to play to testosterone, all right? So in this case, if we watch cows and calves throughout the year interact with one another and we don't see them swinging around downwind when they hear another cow call, Why are they doing it to us when we are out there calling? We can buy the best calls on the market, right? Now, let's just let's just break this up here in a minute. We'll we'll talk. we again. We're just going to break this down. Okay. So, actually, I'm going to leave it. Break this off a little bit. Why are they doing it to us? Why are they treating us differently? They're hearing us vocalize, right? If we're calling, we are pretending to be an L. Yes, that's what we're supposed to be doing. Yeah? I don't care we're, I don't care if we're talking about bugles or we're talking about cow calls. doesn't matter. We are, by the definition, using calls to sound like an L. Now, Let me take a real quick segue. Phil and I were joking about this a little bit. There's a a few things that Chrissy can come uncorked on. Here's one thing that I, I think is funny. Now, obviously, anybody that spends any time listening to me, yes, I do. And I talk about it, and I show you on the website. Cows are using specific vocalizations and they're using specific vocalizations to elicit a very specific response, meaning they are using, in layman's terms, specific words, and those words carry specific meaning, and other animals are supposed to react in a a very predictable manner. I truly do believe that it matters on what you are saying. Now, you are going to hear people that say, well, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you're saying. You just got to sound realistic. How do you sound realistic if you don't know what you're saying? But I digress. I will argue, however, I think every single hunter, whether you're a celebrity, whether you're an, you're an educator, instructor, whether you're sitting in this room right now, I think intrinsically, in the back, make sure I'm not poking myself with a, can you imagine that? I got blue all over my, my face. I think every single one of you actually believes it. The believes in your heart that, yes, those, those things that we say, the bugles that we give, are, and, and that's the point here, the vocalizations, the cow calls we give, or the vocalizations we give, they mean something. Because, ask yourself, how many, if you, and I'm not going to ask for a show of hands on this one, if you go out into the field and you blow a bugle, if, you do not believe that it matters on what you are saying, then you best be blowing the exact same bugle for everything you do. Because otherwise, why would it matter? Why do we talk about a locate, and I don't use this terminology, by the way. I'll t- can share mine here in a minute, because there's some things that are lacking. But why do people ca- talk about a locate bugle? if they want to locate an elk, but then they turn around and talk about a challenge bugle. Or a display bugle. Or a bull calling cows bugle. If you're going to tell me that you're using two or or three or four different bugles because you want to elicit a different response, then by the very definition of communication, they must mean something different. They must be unique. And they must elicit a different response and if bugling now granted you'll hear people say this all the time and it's true bulls will bugle year-round but we all know that they're not out there bugling with the same gusto and using the same bugles 365 days a year okay you're not gonna go out there in February and hearing bulls on their winter range cranking out what I call a dominant bugle it ain't gonna happen okay So, if we're going to sit there and we're going to say in September, one, or September and October, two months out of the year, bulls are going to have different vocalizations that elicit a different response. How in the world are we not going to say that cow elk that are with their calves and with their daughters, last year's daughters and their previous year's daughters, engaging with 20, 30, 130, 300 other individuals in that herd? 365 days out of the year, they're not going to have specific vocalizations. It doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. So let's assume, if you're with me, that what they're saying matters and that they're using words. All right? However you want to define words. All right. So if we are going to be using cow calls, or if we're going to be using bubs, you think about the calls that we have today. Like I said, when we started out, these little bendy straws that you blow through with it sounded horrible, versus what we've got today. We've got some of the best mouth diaphragms you can imagine. Open read style calls now that are so hyper-accurate. We've got bugle tubes that are just incredible with the back pressure that they create, the versatility they give you, the realism that they give, and how much instruction has been over the years on getting people to be more accurate, more realistic in their calling. I think a lot of people have gotten so much better at their calling these days than it was 20 years ago. It's insane. So if we look at a vocalization being given, in my mind, if they are going to treat us differently, again, if we're going out there and we're calling and those elk start to come in and they swing downwind, in my mind, there's two reasons, two possible reasons. One, one is we're just not realistic. And we just don't sound good. The other one, actually, just do this wrong application or delivery, meaning what we vocalized didn't make sense. Let's take those two separately, not being realistic. Okay, that that could be legit. All right, I'm not going to lie to you; that could be le- legit. Um, everybody's got a different sound. Everybody has a different skill level. Some people are just starting out. And you may not be a Corey Jacobson or a Dirk Durham. All right, Steve Chapel. You may not have that unbelievable, absolute perfect realism in your vocalizations. And you could argue that maybe, from a scientific standpoint, maybe if we were to take a cow elk, let's just use cows for a minute, and record her vocalizations. And there's something in behavior, or in, in vocalization and behavioral research, you can run that through a sonogram, but you can basically graph out electronically what that sound footprint looks like. Maybe we can make the argument that no matter what call we're using, let's just take Corey Jacobson or a Steve Chapel for a minute. The best, Some of the best callers you'll ever hear. Maybe they do their best rendition of a mute, and we run that through the graph. And then we listen to a cow and we compare the graphs. Maybe those graphs are different. Maybe there's some frequency, some quality in that vocalization that elk can hear that we just cannot replicate. And so it kind of stands out as different. Okay, I, that might be legit. I don't know. That it might be that, that might be real legit. However, We know that there's way too many people that are successful at calling elk. We call them in. We call them in all the time. Some of us more than others. Some years more than others. But we call them in all the time. So we know that it works. The other thing is, if you spend any time listening to elk talk, you know there are some elk that absolutely sound horrible. I mean, they just sound horrible. How many times have you been out in the field and you heard something, whether it's a cow or a a bull bugle, or excuse me, you hear a cow vocalization of some sort, or you hear a bull vocalization of some sort, and you're like, oh, there's somebody, you know, there's another hunter up there. Ah, damn, there's some, here we go, got other hunters coming in. Great, yeah, but, and then five minutes later, you look up, oh, nope, nope, elk, elk, ah, dang it. And you missed your opportunity because you thought it was a hunter. That happens all the time. If you look at vocalizations, I talk about this again on the website. You'll see me graph this out. You got that? If we want to. Let's just let's just do it right now. Let's just pull that bandage off. Let's just go back to our high school days, okay? Biology, college biology, bell-shaped curves, statistics, math. Okay, yeah, bell-shaped curves. All right, frequency distribution. A lot of elk are going to sound very similar. Big fat part of that curve. Then you're going to have that little tailing off end over here. And for those of you that skipped out on your uh, <clears throat> horses, this is the curve that I'm looking at. All right, There's a lot of elk that sound similar in the middle of that bell-shaped curve. But then you've got some of these elk out here that may be a really low-pitched, raspy horse. Just You're like, just give it up, man, seriously. Okay, they sound horrible. Versus. You got some help way out on the high end of the spectrum that are really high pitched, really whiny, maybe even bird like. Alright? If you ever look back on the you know on the days of Siri calls, S-E-E-R-Y Siri calls. It was great because they got this popularity, but they had this really high pitched bird like weird sound. And that people used to criticize all the time. But then they'd criticize it, and then people would go and call an elk and kill them with a Siri call. Why? Because it actually fits on the spectrum. All right? There are some elk that sound different. So if we look at this principle of, well, we just don't sound realistic. From a quality sound standpoint, I don't know if I get behind it. I don't know if I get to behind it just because we've got incredible calls these days that are hyper accurate. We've got more people spending time practicing and getting better at their calling. And we have this natural variability in the elk themselves that we're trying to emulate. And then we have the environment that we're calling in. So different terrain, different thickness of habitat, if were thick timber, dark timber, you know, uh, up above alpine. There's all these other different factors that are going to affect the sound quality that we give, and we just have way too much examples and repeatability of actually being able to call Elk in and put them five steps from us. So I don't know if I really get behind this. However, that one that one I do. Wrong application, or wrong delivery, or not saying the right thing, at the right time, in the right context. Now, if anybody saw the Denver ISE seminar I did this past year in January, the seminar I gave was about the consequences of our calling strategies. We all, when we, when we, like right now, here we are, two weeks, what, two, three weeks out? Three weeks. Let's just say three weeks because that's going to make me feel a lot better. Because I am not even anywhere near being ready. Let's just say three weeks. This is about the time we start buckling down and getting serious about practicing and start making sure that everything's what we're getting our calls and everything blah, 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 okay? And when we're going through our mind and we're thinking about what we're going to do, where we're going to go, and the elk we're going to engage in, and we're going to call, and he's going to scream, and he's going to come down, and we're going to woo-woo, and we're going to shoot him. Most of the time, we envision a successful scenario. It's just human nature. We envision ourselves being successful. This is the year. Dang it! Right? Last year may not so much, but this year, oh yeah, yeah. No, this is a different year. Moisture. We've had better moisture, so those elk are going to be. Yeah, this is the year. And all. Remember when I went up there on that mountain last year, and I found those, and I know where this bedding area is, and this, and then there were, and there was no one in there. It was awesome. So yeah, this year I'm going up in there, and we're going This is going to happen. We're always envisioning ourselves being successful, and that's good. We all want optimism, right? The reality is there's going to be some failures, all right? Whether it's day one through day seven, I don't know, but there's going to be some failures. The question is, and the question I posited back in January was, okay, if we're going to go into the field with a set an idea of what we're going to do and a strategy that we're going to use, There can be consequences. What if it doesn't work? What happens when it doesn't work? Did it just not work and the elk just didn't come in? Okay, well that's one thing. Or, did it not work because the elk hurt us and we changed their behavior and they left? That can happen. I give the example all the time about push my little... Grocery card in the grocery store in my toothpaste and toilet paper. On my shopping list, I've got carrots. Okay. And I push my card around the corner and I'm heading to the produce department. And then all of a sudden, someone just grabs a, a crate, stands up on it, gets up there and says, Pencil automobile boot lace winter jacket. And just keeps going. How many of us are going to go down there and talk to that guy? Okay, no. Now, the point being, what the heck does a bootlace have to do with a winter jacket or automobile? He's using words in the English language. He's he's communicating, right? He's he's calling, right? We know what those words mean, right? But our behavior changed. Our well, our, our initial reaction to that beep, stop what? Okay? It put us on edge. Because what the heck did those words have to do with one another? What the heck did that have to do with the produce department of grocery store? Alright? Versus the other example, if crate comes out, guy gets up and says, ladies and gentlemen, for the next hour. Colorado peaches, penny a piece, no limit. Now, how many guys? How many? I was going to go talk to that guy. Okay, maybe a lot more. The easy part, the, the the top layer on that, is, well, all those words related to one another, and they related to the produce department, and and I like peaches, so yeah, I'm I, I, yeah, I'm going to go talk to that guy awesome great here's the real level you had carrots on your list and the carrots are right behind that guy in the crate and talking first scenario how many are still going to go up there and get your carrots how many of you are gonna be like I can get those tomorrow i can get those maybe later i'll wait until he leaves how many people have the confidence to maintain their behavior maintain exactly what they were doing in the face of that situation i know from years of doing this that a lot of people are gonna be like i don't i don't okay let me be honest i know from here we here we go here we go we've got the bell-shaped curve all right we're gonna have some people they're gonna ditch their their cart and run out of the store. You're gonna have some of those people down here, okay? The vast majority of us are probably gonna be like, mm, maybe I'll wait. I'll wait till he leaves, or maybe I'll wait for another day. But there are a few. They'd be like, yeah, I want to see what this guy's about, and he's. You're just gonna go over there and talk to him, just mess with him, right? There's probably one or two, but there's that individual way out here on the spectrum, right? Did it change your behavior? Because in the second case, guy talking about peaches. What if you don't like peaches? What if you already bought peaches yesterday and you got more peaches than you know what to do with? You don't want peaches. Does any one of us even think for a second about changing our behavior and not going over and finishing our grocery list. No, we don't. We don't even think about it. Okay, that is what I'm talking about the consequences of the tactics and strategies and vocalizations that we use on the landscape. They can have consequences. Sometimes you just ignore them. You're like I don't want peaches, I don't I don't want what you're selling, I don't care and they just go right back to doing what they're doing. They go back to feeding they use the same bedding area. They use the same trail going up the mountain. They use the same wallow. They go back to the same bedding area, or feeding area, or wherever. The beautiful case about, or a beautiful thing about that scenario is, you can come back that night. You can come back the next morning. You can come back, and you can work that group again. Whereas, if you go in there, and the consequence is, you use a wrong application, or you deliver it incorrectly, that it doesn't make sense, then this stops being about communication. And it starts being about safety. What the heck is going on up there? And do I want any part of it? You're up there calling, okay? It's in the morning. Bulls are out in the open, or they're out in their feeding area. They're starting up that mountain. They're heading to the bedding area. You're doing what you can do, and you're kind of cut them off, and you're getting up there, and you start calling. Are they more apt to go your way out of curiosity, or you're strategically telling them what to do, or do they hear something and go, "What the?" let's take this route. And they just go a different route. Maybe they run faster up the mountain, they just get to the bedding area before you and stand there and let the wind swirl around and then they start what? Using their nose. Why? Safety. Nose safety, nose first. You're not gonna fool their nose and they know it and that's why their bedding areas are where their bedding areas are. Because it is the best place to have conflicting wind currents that are always going to be channeling a new scent that they can constantly evaluate. Are they going to do what you want them to do? Or is it going to stand out to be something that they are concerned about or that doesn't make sense? That is usually when I see elk, even cows and calves, choose to swing down rent. One of the things I always say is you're never going to make an elk do anything. You never make them do it, except maybe run away. All right? All you can do is put in their mind what they ought to do, or might be what is in their best interest to do. All right? Sometimes, unfortunately, we inadvertently put in their mind What they ought to do is set-check this situation, because it's not quite making sense, all right? Now, we can talk about, there's a whole pile of different cow-calling strategies. You're going to hear me talk all the time about using, and you'll see me use all the time, a very targeted cow-calling strategy, leaning heavy on lost muse, asking for response, leaning heavy on assembly muse, saying, I want you to come to me. There are some major advantages to using a targeted strategy, cow calling strategy, okay? But I do know, and I want to touch on this tonight, because I do know with the popularity of a lot of bugling, everybody's talking about bugling. If you watch any video on Instagram, YouTube, or excuse me, yeah, YouTube, Facebook, very rarely are you seeing somebody posting a video of them practicing their cow calling, 99% 99% of the time, it's somebody practicing their bugling. Ripping out a bugle and, here we go. That's awesome. <laughs> it's, that, that's fine. I'm not here to rip on bugling or bugling strategy because they can, can be successful in the right situation with the right bull in the right area at the right time. I will make the argument that in many cases, oftentimes, the reason why hunters who rely on a heavy bugling strategy do not see the level of success that they want to see is because they're not in the right environment or setting or whatever to capitalize on. Meaning, if you think about what a bugle is, from a vocalization standpoint, you've got two broad spectrums. You got one, information gathering, those what I call contact bugles, gathering information. Some people call them locate bugles, okay? The only reason why I don't call them locate bugles is because they do a lot more than just locate, all right? But regardless, those locate bugles are those contact bugles. And then you have a whole different animal, which is that dominant bugle, some be- And this is where, again, we get into the weeds on, oh, that's a challenge bugle, or that's a display bugle, or that's a bull-calling cow whatever. They're all the same. It's a dominant bugle. It is supposed to simultaneously be intimidating to other bulls, so they eliminate competition, while being something that a cow would hopefully be attracted to. It's supposed to be attractive to cows. And off-putting or discouraging to other bulls. If you think about a lot of the units in Colorado that a lot of hunters bow hunt in, if you're an over-the-counter unit, depending on where you are, a lot of our bulls are two and a half to three and a half year old bulls. They are younger age-class bulls. They know. They are younger age class bulls. Now, don't get don't misconstrue. They might be with a group of cows. You get a three and a half-year-old bull that's got four cows with him. Oh, he's a happy camper. Because this is probably the first time he's ever been able to have ladies all to himself. And this is gonna be a great year. And and I'm happy to have my cows, okay? But he's still a teeny. He's a young, he's a young like we okay, guys. When we were 12, 13 years old, did we have it figured out? Let me answer that for you. No, we did not. Ladies, back me up. Okay? We didn't have it figured out. We thought we did. And, man, we gave it a college try. And we might have had a girlfriend or 2 Woohoo! Okay, are we the same? I hope. Please, dear Lord, please tell me that the answer is no. But I hope, as we are older now, we are not the same as we were when we were 12 or 13. Okay? Hopefully, we've matured. Age, experience comes maturity. All right? Hopefully, hopefully. Same thing with elk. And if we're out there in a unit that is largely made up of younger age class animals, and we go out there and we decide to use a bugling strategy, if we are going to use what people call the, the challenge bugle, all right, I, that bull came in looking for a fight. Really? Did he? If he came in with his ears up, his head up, his antlers up, and he's doing this, Swinging around downwind, he did not come in looking for a fight. He came in hoping to avoid a fight, okay? And if you're calling to the bull that has those cows and you're using a bugling strategy, just understand that you very well may be dealing with, and odds are, in this bell-shaped curve, you're probably dealing with a bull in here that may not want that conflict. This is the first year that he's had cows he does not want to risk that and you can watch over and over again where and how many times have you had this happen to you or hear others uh, somebody else say it i was bugling he'd bugle i would bugle and he'd bugle and i bugle and he'd bugle and he just we just it there's a standoff, back and forth he wouldn't ever come in and finally he just left yeah because it is supposed to be timid it, intimidating to other bulls. That bugle, especially if they start getting aggressive with that, putting that real "Ah," growl, gravel, grit in that voice, voice, it is literally supposed to do that. And so by you standing there and not moving, you're telling him, keep doing what you're doing because it's working, because this bull's not coming in. Now, obviously, we just can't walk right into the group. If the wind is right, you hear people all the time talk about challenging a bull, getting in close, pressuring him, in your face, thick cover, all that, yes, all that, all that, yes. If you have all the conditions right, yes, it can work. If you're dealing with a bull that is of sufficient either age structure or dominant status to where in his mind he says, it is in my best interest to stand in here and either fight or actively okay See you first. Hear you second, smell you third. Bulls out there, I don't hear, I don't see him. But I hear him. And I'm hearing something. And if I'm the bull that says I want to fight or I'm gonna stand my ground, I hear it, I'm not impressed. My next thing is, is I want to see him. Now everybody again says, Oh yeah, well, that broke bull's gonna come charging in. If you get close enough, he'll come charging in. Maybe. He might come charging in, or he might, and I talk about this all the time, he might simply put himself in between his cows and you. Awesome. If you're in range, if you're close enough, that may all be what you need. You just, you got him to move out. He, he, here he comes. He's swinging around. He's putting himself in between you, and, and awesome. Maybe that gives you a shot opportunity. But do not be surprised when you're dealing with a lot of bulls that are those lovers and not fighters you're dealing with a lot of bulls that might be of a younger age class their voice may sound awesome but i will tell you right now never try to judge a bull by his bugle it will set you up for failure almost every time there's some of the biggest bulls that have the wimpiest bugles and i've wasted not wasted it was fun spent hours trying to call this bull that sounded like the the dinosaur from jurassic park and he comes out, and he's a 4x4, four four, slams himself down in a wallow. I dismiss him until he stands up and... Wah! I'm like, what the... He was a little 4x4, four four, and he, he sounded awesome. Meanwhile, the herd bull, I, I, I don't know where he went. An hour ago, he left. I didn't know. Yeah, I was out playing with a 4x4. Okay? Don't judge a bull by his bugle. So if you're dealing with a younger age class bull... You're dealing with a bull that this is his first goal, at holding cows, especially if it's early season, and he hasn't bonded with those cows, or more more accurately, those cows have not bonded with him and chosen him. They're just with him because yeah, you're good enough for right now, and you were with us in the summer group. You're Margaret's kid, and I don't I don't like that idea. Okay, don't be surprised if all of a sudden he leaves. With one or two or three of them or just none. He's like, I'm out. Because it's not in his best interest. Especially if in August, right now, he's getting pushed out by every mature bull that's out there. Or at least an age class above him. Or a bigger body, more aggressive bull. I am the guy, when I'm out in the field, I talk about all the time the valley of the ten bulls. If we go out into our hunting area, wherever that is. And there are 10 bulls on the landscape. I have the philosophy of I want to be able to work all 10 of those bulls, however they need to be worked. Whether it's with an aggressive strategy, whether it's a passive strategy, a targeted strategy, I don't care. And quite honestly, and I was just talking earlier, um, I I don't want to get bulls fired up and bugling. I don't. I actually like when they just mew at me and come in and eat my arrow. The only time I want, I want people to know that there's an elk on the mountain is when it's either on my back or on my horse is headed out. Yep, he was. He was right up there. Good luck, gentlemen, ladies. Have fun. I'm out because I just filled my tag. Because where I hunt, there's a lot of other people. And as soon as a bull bugles, where are every other person that just heard that view? Here we go. Combat bow hunting. Okay, Or you've got muzzleloaders in there, and you're doing all the calling. He's getting ramped up. He's bugling. You're like, this is going to boom. Awesome. Okay? I don't like getting bulls fired up. I really don't. I just hunt in places where there's a lot of other people, and and you've got to be tactical. Okay? You've got to be precise on on getting them in there. If you go into the field with the idea that you want to use a more aggressive style tactic, and I do lump most bugling strategies in that more aggressive style calling. Understand that you are going to be going into that my proverbial valley of ten bulls. And rather than looking at all those animals and say, okay, how do I need to play their game? What you're doing is you're going into that valley you're saying, okay, I need to find the one bull or two that want to play my game. There's nothing wrong with that. At all. Just understand, you may need to cover country. You need to. You may need to stay mobile. You may end up bumping a whole bunch of elk. All right, before you find that one bull that wants to play your game, especially early season. Now this year we start August thirty-first, right? And then, so we're a week behind where we started last year. So we are. That's the other thing too. People forget that we say opening week. Opening week for us is just a calendar date. For elk, they're on a photo period cycle. That doesn't change. So this year we're engaging elk in a completely different behavioral cycle than we did last year. We may already find a lot of those bulls have already made that pre-rut move. We may find a lot of those bulls already in and around those cows. We may find a lot of those cows already have figured out what bull they want to be with and are starting to bond with them and, and go off on their own in that direction. I have an entire discussion about rethinking the rut on why in some cases some cows are cycling early <clears throat> rather than late. Everybody likes to use the excuse, oh, we had a, it, was, it was quiet, we had a late rut. There's really only one thing that's going to push a late rut, and that's poor body condition of cows. I don't think we're going to have that this year. I think we're going to have really good body condition, which means those cows are going to cycle in on time or earlier, depending on the factors that led up to that, whether they were the bull, whether they got a, cow at their, uh, a calf at their side, so all sorts of different things that, that can play into that. So this year, I have a feeling we could end up running into a situation where we've got cows with bulls. They already figured out where they want to be. They're already—they're probably going to be scattered across the landscape because the food is, in a lot of areas, is still pretty good. Yes, some of the high country, unless we get some rain, it's getting starting to get a little dry. But by and large, I think we're in a situation where we've got enough moisture and we've got enough feed on the landscape where we could have elk scattered all over the place. If you are going to go into the field this year and you want to use a a strong bugling strategy, that's fine, just understand. When that bull starts responding and he's coming in, if he hangs up and starts bugling back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth and doesn't come in and doesn't commit, he's doing exactly what a bugle should do. He's doing exactly what he should do. He's vocalizing exactly how he should. And if you don't move or do something different, you are playing right into his hand. And it's just going to keep going back, 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 back. You're going to either need to be more aggressive and crowded. You're going to need to be active and either change positions or change your tactics, change your strategy, change your vocalization. start acting a little bit more frustrated. Start, you can, there's... People talk all the time about raking stuff. There's pluses and minuses to raking, but you're going to need to change how you're vocalizing at that animal. There used to be this adage of if you hear a bull and he bugles a certain way, copy him. Give the bugle that he, you know, if he bugles this way, then you then you mimic him and, and give him the same bugle. If he steps it up, then you step it up. Well, okay. But the problem with that is, if you had to get into a conflict with somebody, would you rather be in a conflict with somebody who might be a little bit less aggressive, a little bit more unsure, a little bit more timid, a little bit more shy, or would you like to be going toe-to-toe with someone who is at least as confident as you? Someone who is at least as aggressive as you at least as perceptibly dominant physically fit whatever you want whatever adjective you want to use because that's what you're showing or saying to that bull if that bull bugles i talk about level 1 2 and 3 level 1 being low intensity level 2 medium intensity level 3 high intensity you're bugling oops sorry you're bugling at level 1 he steps up to a level 2 and you go with him He stepped it up, and he's like, oh, let me see how he handles this. I'm going to step it up level two. And then what do you do? You go, all right, I'll step up with you. So now you go back and forth a little bit, and he steps it up a little bit more. gets a little bit more intensity. He starts raking stuff and just thrashing stuff around. He's like, all right, fine. I'm going to step this up to a level three. I'm going to step this up in intensity. And then you step up with him. What are you telling him? Essentially, you're the guy that's telling him, saying, I'll go wherever you want to go. You want to step it up? Let's step it up. Let's go. Keep on keep on doing it. Let's go. Do you want to go toe-to-toe with that guy? No, most likely not. Most bulls don't either, especially if they're younger age class. And so that's why they go back, forth, back, forth, back, forth, back, forth, back, forth. Okay, I'm out. And they leave. So change your tactic. My recommendation, if that starts happening, if you insist on going with a Googling strategy, And you start getting in that shouting match, and it's not going anywhere. Then start tapering off and sounding more frustrated, and start pacing back and forth. Move your position, move your position. Start using those other vocalizations that bulls do, those whines, those moans. Start sounding frustrated, like you're getting worried. If you start thinking, or start giving him the idea that he's got the upper hand, that is when he might break free and want to come in again hopefully if you did your job right see you first hear you second smell you third see you first kicks in he's like oh yeah i got this guy i want to see him so he comes in directly but if you're going to use a bugling strategy understand a bugle is simultaneously supposed to be intimidating a more aggressive, view. not a contact bugle, not a locate bugle. If we're talking about the, what you see on YouTube and on, you know, just going crazy, that is supposed to be intimidating. So do not expect that bull to finally not go, goodness freaking gracious, who is this guy? I need to, I better kind of check this, I need to check this out. And then have him swing around downwind. Okay? So yes, if you're going to take an aggressive strategy, yes, it does kick in the default that they might swing down win. But the thing is, is you don't have to. There's a whole lot of stuff out there that you can do that doesn't kick in that potential aggressive interplay. Even if you want to use bull vocalizations, you don't have to be aggressive with it. There's a lot of different bull vocalizations that are out there that you can use that don't trigger, possibly, possibly won't trigger that defensive worry, if you will, on some of these younger age class bulls. Yes, if you're in a situation where you know you clearly have a mature bull, and that mature bull is absolutely, clearly defending that group of cows from satellite bulls. Yeah, now you oftentimes are faced with the option of saying, okay, if I can't call, if I can't sucker some cows out using cow vocalizations, maybe I've used glunking and all this other stuff to try to to worry that bull to make you know to simulate that I'm another satellite bull getting too close to his cows and get him to come around and, and try to route me out. Maybe I do need to get aggressive and be challenging to it. Absolutely, absolutely, it's a valid tactic, high-risk tactic, but sometimes it comes with high reward if you don't know the type of bull that you're dealing with, I'm the type of guy that says, don't, don't be afraid to use all the tools that are available to you in your toolbox. Practice your cow calling. I always like starting off low-key, working my way up. That way, doesn't matter what bull in that valley, the proverbial valley of ten bulls, I run into, I engage them or I have the ability to engage them however they want to be or need to be engaged. I will always call as much as I need to but I will never call any more than I have to. I think the reason why a lot of us go in the field and run into elk swinging around downwind is because we don't give a thought or enough thought as to what the consequence is or could be of the vocalization strategy and the calling strategy we decided to employ. We didn't take the time to understand elk behavior, how they communicate, how they interact with one another, and what they expect on the other end. And sometimes we inadvertently end up being that guy that pulls out the crate it starts yelling pencils and automobiles and bootlaces. And those elk are like, hmm, I can get my carrots later. Make sense? All right, so I know there's a pi- there's probably a pile of questions. I'm going to let you ask because I I could go down the rabbit holes of vo- cow vocalizations. I could go down the rabbit holes of bull vocalizations. I could go more rabbit holes of behavior. What questions do you, what do we got? Oh, yeah, we're good. What questions do you have to help you kind of hone this in? Elk Elk and mule deer interaction. You're talking probably on the high country, up in the Alpine? All right. So it seems like a lot of times... If you see mule deer you don't see elk and if you see elk you don't see mule deer i'll tell you right now the elk just don't give two craps about it because when the elk come in they just come in it's the mule deer that give way they don't it, it's not so much yes there is some forage overlap elk are a more dominant animal on the landscape and a lot of times those mule deer will just give them a little bit wider berth and they'll just sometimes they're in the same basin they're just in a different spot on that basin or a more steeper slope in those willows and that type of stuff, sometimes they just go up, up and over the mountain, and they, it's just an interspecific behavioral competition. Just one gives way to the other. Awesome, great question. All right, question is: When do you? How do you know when to go after them and when to set back? All right. This is one criticism that I get, and I will own it. I am by default, a little bit more passive when it comes to my engagement on elk. Only because, I don't know, maybe I just haven't found an awesome honey hole yet, but most of the areas that I've been, there are some times when the elk are all over, and then there's other times where it takes three or four days, and you're like, okay, fine, okay, good, finally, I found them. Crap, it's just one group. I mean, it's, it's one bull and a handful of cows, and burp, that's it in this entire area. They're it. Okay, I need to play this strategically. Now, sometimes it works. You go right in there, and you call them, and yay, yay. Other times, no. You've got to be able to have a chance. Maybe the wind is wrong. Other hunters, terrain, location, especially in the high country, that gets difficult. You've got to play it to where I want to have the option to come back and try it again. I will oftentimes be a little bit more laid back and a little bit more low-key than others. However, I judge on whether or not I'm gonna get aggressive by two different things. One, how many more days do I have to hunt? Okay? Well a couple things. one. how many more days do I have to hunt? Is it the first day of my hunt? And am I in out? I'm gonna let the I'm gonna let the game play out. Maybe. I go in, work him. Doesn't work out. Fine, I'll back out. Let him settle down. If I've done my job correctly, I haven't changed the behavior. I can come in that that evening, the next day, or whatever, play him again and try it. Maybe the wind is better. Maybe they're in a better position, and it works. If I'm down the last couple days of my hunt, oh yeah, but but I got to I got to try to let's just try to get something done. I got to try to make something happen again. Make something happen. Hopefully, that's not making him run away. And try to make something happen. Number two, if I'm engaging... that Now, because the other thing, too, is I see a lot of people... One of the things that ends up being a problem and why people are not as, success, as successful as they could be is I see a lot of guys and gals being too aggressive, charging in too soon. If that elk is responding and he's showing interest and there's engagement, I will typically let that scenario play out. If you get on the elk module, you'll watch it. And the strategies in action... There's some video and I and I most of the time I do not edit them significantly. So there's some sequences in there that might be the actual calling sequence is 7 minutes. I heard him set up, called 7 minutes later that bull standing right here. And then there's other videos that are an hour long and that I chopped up. And I'm working on one right now from last year. I don't know how in the world to do it, but it's 4 hours. Solid 4 hours working this bull Working this pool, working this pull, working this bull, never pushing it, but just working it because he was still interested. He still showed interest. He still showed interest. He still showed interest. I had the wind, the terrain wasn't great, so I kept moving, following, repositioning, moving, try it, but he always showed interest. Always showed interest. Always showed interest. All I'm not gonna give up. As long as he's st- if he's gonna give me a thread to pull on. I'm going eh, to pull on. And right about the time I was about to say, okay, well, he's bedded down. He's done. I'll, I'll back out. Or he, he gave me one last vocalization. I'm like, oh, buddy, here we go. Four hours, and he was from me to you. Okay? So if they're showing interest, let the setup work. If you picked your doorway, if you know where that, where your tree, where that animal should be coming down, he knows where you're calling from, believe me, they know where you are you're in their house, if your significant other, your kids or whoever else is in your house, and they call to you from the back bedroom, you don't go in the garage looking for them, unless you try to avoid them, right? You know your house, and so if they call to you from the back bedroom, you get up, you go up the stairs, around the corner, down the hall to the bedroom, but just like we do in our house, we what? Pause, oftentimes, even for a millisecond, fraction of a second, we pause. In that doorway, we look, and what do we do? Where's eye contact? Where's, what, what's, what's happening? Where's the eye, we're, Even for a split second, we're trying to make eye contact. That's what the elk are doing. So if you identify where that doorway is, where he's going to come through his house and get to the room, the edge of the room, where we're calling from, he's going to stop. If you've got that right, and you've got the wind working you, and no one else is around, and hopefully he's not so fired up that everybody else on the landscape is, is moving your way, and he's showing interest. Let it work. And then, if all of a sudden something happens and he stops and he moves off or whatever, or the wind gets it starts getting squirrely, and you're like, just back out. Come back and fight another day. They don't, they don't, they don't <clears throat> not if you have not. If you're out there screaming pencils and automobiles, maybe. But if you're in there talking about peaches, no. A lot of times they just go back to doing what they're doing again. My calling strategy, I start low-key, build up if I have to. I will call as much as I need to, but not more than I have to. I'm not going to try to push the issue initially. If it gets to the point where I'm at the end of my hunt, I'll push the envelope. Or I think this bull is right there. I think it just is going gonna, gonna, it, to work. And then all of a sudden, here comes someone else up the hill. Ah, crap. It's now or never. I either push in and try to make something happen before it gets blown out, okay? I'm going to read the situation, but if they show interest, just let it work. I cannot tell you the number of times just sitting, especially if you don't think about down in Arizona where I go, Unit 9, there's some really big open ponderosa pines, so you can literally sit and watch what happens. I can't tell you the number of times where elk will literally, they are interested in you. They want, they're absolutely actively interested in you. See you first. Okay, and again, rabbit holes. Man, if you're vocalizing, what did we say before? The only reason why someone's vocalizing is because they cannot keep track of one another visually. Take that thought down the road. Why? Again, what did I say at the beginning? Why? Ask yourself why. Always answer the question, why? If they're talking. Why? The reason why is because they can't keep track of each other visually. Why? Moving? Is there a terrain? Is something happening? Something's oftentimes they're not gonna be laying in their bed going crazy talking. They're up on their feet, they're doing something. That's why they're talking. Okay, what is that bull that you're talking to think? You're using vocalizations. You just put an idea in his head. If you're the person out there using cow calls and you're meow, 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 you're using a bunch of cow sounds. Aggressive cow sounds. Aggressive cow calling. Building the excitement. Whatever you want to call it. Asterisk, don't even get me going on asterisk. If you want to do that, then what you're putting in their mind is there's more than one animal. They must be up on, their doing, up on their feet doing something. Well, if that's the case, there should be movement. If there's movement, then I'm just going to sit here and watch. And I'm going to sit here and I'm going to wait until I see movement. I'm going to see an elk. At some point, if you're imitating 10 elk, especially if he's a younger bull, it's in his back. Be- Again, you're never going to make an elk do anything. All you can do is put in their mind what they ought to do. If you're dealing with a younger age class animal, oftentimes, mate doesn't even matter, age class, you could be dealing with an eight-year-old bull who's like, oh, cool, there's some cows down there. Let me see, let me, let me see what's going on. What do they got to do? They don't have soccer practice. They don't have to pick up the kids. They, they, they're, they're, they're home. They're, they're, they're home. They're in their living room. They don't have anywhere to go. They, don't need, they can stand there for an hour. They can stand there for an hour and a half. I can't tell you the number of times you'll sit there and watch elk stand up on the mountain just staring. He might bugle. He might chuckle. He might moan at you. He might vocalize back at you. And then he just goes back to feeding, chewing his cud, standing there watching. He's just waiting. But that's where we as hunters get impatient. And we're like, God, man, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta move, I gotta do something. And here we go, and we walk out. And he's like, What the? I'm out. And you never even knew, that, or or or, you take three steps, and all of a sudden, and there go the hooves. How many times does that happen, right? If they're showing interest for me, me, let it work. If you've got the setup. Let it work. Now, that's also where and why I do stress a targeted vocalization strategy. A lot of people go to that aggressive cow calling strategy where they're using a lot of different cow calls. Again, you're setting it up to where he should see activity. You flip it around and you go my philosophy and say okay I'm just gonna use a target and I'm gonna say lost me. Where are you? Give me a response. He bugles. Thank you very much. You just did exactly what I asked you to. Awesome. Now I know where he is. Now I can get the wind. All I did was a couple of lost mews. That does not necessarily simulate an entire group of elk. It could be one individual. He responds. Awesome. Thank you very much. Now I'm going to get my proverbial ducks in a row. Let's put it nicely. Get the wind right. Figure out where he is. What's the train look like? If I call from here, and he comes. All right. That might be a good doorway. Good spot to set up. I can shoot there. Awesome. Give him one more, two more losses. Where are you? Just get Awesome. Assembly view. Hey, I want you to come to me. Mature cow, I want you to come to me. Especially if you're using if you're either with a bull that is not I was going to say hend up. <laughs> we were talking turkeys earlier. <laughs> Cowed up or hend up. You, you get the idea. If he's not with cows and he's seeking cows, awesome. Here we go. If you're if you're dealing with a younger age class bull, then maybe you just got ran out of that other harem, that other group, and you don't care if he's a five by five. or. Blah, 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 I don't care. Give me a bull. He's on his own. Hey, I want you to come to me. You start using assembly news. The only animals on the landscape that use assembly news are dominant cows. Dominant cows, you might be hunting a bull that's two and a half, three and a half years old. But from a research standpoint, with all the collaring and all the ear, all the tagging, you literally—I can tell you right now—you might be dealing with a 22-year-old cow. She's been there, she's done that, and she survived how many archery, muzzleloader, first, second, third rifle seasons for 20 years. Okay. A dominant cow says, "Hey, you. Come here." "Yes, ma'am." She's a single cow. She doesn't need to be moving around. And quite honestly, she just told you to come here. Why would she move around? So now that bull doesn't think that there's going to be activity down there. She's down there standing there. Okay, that bull's mind, that bull's mind, he's not anticipating movement. He's expecting it to be static, which means he's going to come in closer to look. So the strategies that you use to call will also dictate how aggressive I need to be. I will start low-key and build my way up. If my low-key calling does not work and I need to step it up and that finally gets that interaction going, if it seems like it's not going to happen, sometimes you are forced to either just push the envelope all the way through to try to make it happen because it's going to fail anyway. Start low key, build up if you have to. You will see a lot less animals swinging downwind. You will see a lot less animals hanging up and and just charging back, you know, yelling back and forth. Okay? Decoys. I have them. I use them from time to time. But the best statement I ever had was a, a forum post on our website where the guy said, the, the, the title of the, it, was perfect. It said, ditch the decoy, work the setup. Okay. See you first, hear you second smell you third. Yes, they want to see something else, some other animal. But if you focus on your setups and you get the doorway right you won't worry, you won't need about it because they're gonna walk in and stand right there and they're gonna eat your arrow anyway. However, here are my thoughts on decoys. You've got what I would consider three different styles. I will lump the heads up decoy as one style where it's the profile of a cow elk head on a stick. Okay. You've got the uh, be the predator or the ultimate predator style where it's the animal face on that can go onto your bow. You know what I'm talking about? And then you've got the type of a, you kind of the Montana decoy style where it's a whether it's a rump, whether it's a broadside, it's, it's depicting the more of the whole animal. Each one has its strengths, but each one has its limitations. I like the heads up decoy style because it's very easily deployed and you can put movement in it, especially if you're doing a two-person style setup. The person in the back can have that decoy. Say the elk starts coming in. You didn't get the door doorway just right. The elk hangs up. He's looking around. You can deploy it out from behind a tree or whatever. You can put movement in it. I like having movement in it if it's going to be Wrong way to say it. Hold on. Let me formulate this. Let me take it this way. The failure of a lot of decoys is the elk comes in, they see that decoy, and if they see ears or if they see head, you can see a lot of times where they will stop and look and stare, and they're wanting to see movement. You never see an elk standing there right? Unless they're staring down danger. Okay? So you'll see a lot of times where, like for instance, the ultimate decoy or ultimate predator decoys. I think their strength is if you need to move and you need to walk at them. If you are putting movement in and you're walking at them, yes, that decoy is awesome because it allows you to get away with it. Because behaviorally from a visual image that cow her ears are forward, her face is forward. She sees you, she's walking towards you, Okay, that makes sense. Okay, It will allow you to move. I have seen repeatedly where if you use that style decoy as a static decoy, especially on older age class bulls, as soon as they come around the corner and they see it, boom, their first reaction is head goes up, ears go forward. What the heck is she looking at? And if they even remotely have any age to them, that's when they start going, Why is she standing like a stone? Okay. The Montana style decoys absolutely can work fairly well. Um, my personal opinion, I like the rump. Okay, I like that one the best because I can turn around and I can have my butt pointed at you guys all night long, and you can't see my lips moving, you can't see my head moving, all you see is my butt. My butt static; it doesn't move. That makes sense. Visually, it makes sense. There's a cow on the other end of that butt. Okay, she's doing something. Her ears are probably going. She's probably eating. Now it's in my best interest to try to maybe get around there and what? Make eye contact with it. So the rump, I really like. It just takes a little bit more time to deploy it and get it out there. Now again, if you're a two-person party, oh yeah, two-person? Yeah, have the other person stand there with it? Awesome. But I, I really do believe like a lot of subscribers that have been on the site for if you learn to get that doorway you don't need them my I bring it I've got both I've got I've well I've got all three and they will be with me I've probably used them I could probably count on one hand the last 20 years I've used them you don't need it I have them with you in case you do it's better to have it not need it than need it not have it so why not especially a heads up decoys it doesn't weigh a couple ounces okay if you're not confident using a bugle, should you not do any call, or should you do some cow calling, or is it dependent on the time of the season? All right, the question was, if you don't feel confident blowing a bugle, you know, doing a bugle, should you just not call? Should you use cow calls? Should you use something? Okay. There is a whole world of vocalizations that have nothing to do with a bugle. Think about it. A cow gives birth to her calf. She's communicating with that calf every day for its entire first year, at minimum its first year of life. If it's a cow, calf, a female calf, that calf is going to stay with her for the next foreseeable how many years, most likely. If it's a bull, that bull's going to be with her for at least that first year, sometimes into the second year. They're, con- they're talking 365 days out of the year. There are, so- what did I say in the beginning? I, get rid of the testosterone. Ignore the testosterone. And you will be amazed at the world of possibilities that you have that you can use. Cow vocalizations. Okay, skip the cow vocalizations. If you don't want to use a cow cal- there's all sorts of other bull vocalizations out there that are not bugles. Moans, whines, huffs, groans, I mean, heck, even glunking, okay? There's all sorts of vocalizations that you can learn and deploy out there on the landscape. Most of the time, I'm going to start, now, don't, don't misconstrue this. I absolutely will use a bugle to locate, all right, and try to find, you know, prospect on the landscape. I do it all the time. You can watch me do it all the time. But as soon as I get that response, and I can pinpoint where that animal is, most of the time, I'm going to make up 80-90% of the distance that I can. I'm not going to keep bugling at him. I'm not going to keep working him up. All I want him to do is vocalize, let me pinpoint you. Let me me know where you are. Let me pinpoint you, and oh, it's game on. Because now, I'm going to go across the landscape, and I'm going to close that distance. If I need to touch base with him again and figure out where he is, if I know I'm close, I'm probably going to jump right to a target. I'm going to go to a lost mute. Asks for a response, cow call. If he responds, woohoo, awesome. Now I'm going to roll into cow call strategies first, evaluate if I need to step into bull vocalization strategies, I can. But I'm going to start with a cow vocalization first. Because there's so many different words and so many different ways that you can structure your communication with that animal. However, if, he, if I move in and I give him a loss and he doesn't respond, I try, try, and he doesn't respond. Okay, maybe, especially in those years here in Colorado where we start early, or maybe if you find a bull that they're still working out their pecking order, maybe they're not interested in cows yet and they're more worried about another bull in their, in their close proximity. All right. If I'm not gonna get a response with cow calls, okay, now I pull the bugle out, I'm gonna test the waters, give him a contact, level one contact, just Where are you? If he responds, great, here we go. I'm always gonna try to start low key and build up. I will oftentimes start with a cow vocalization strategy first because I have more versatility with it. Make sense? Does that that matter in the right outside? That's the beautiful thing. Get rid of testosterone. Who cares about the rut? The cow in January, the cow in June, talking to her calf, saying, "Hey, where are you, Junior? Hey, Junior, where are you? Over here. Okay, come here." Nothing to do with testosterone. In December, when they're all on their winter range, and all of a sudden they start moving through the trees, and somebody goes over here, "Where where are you guys going? Where are you guys going?" Over here, zero to do with testosterone. Go to the base level of behavior. Go to the base level of communication. You've got so much more to work with. If you encounter a bull that is under the... He's got a a harem and he's fired up and blah, blah, blah. Okay, or they're still working on the package. If he's not responding to that base level of communication, then start tiptoeing into that tidal pool of testosterone and I only go as deep as I have to okay have Yes there? yes it's, uh, yes <laughs> yes question is is the wind is swirling is there are there areas on the mountain that you just give up on you just don't you just you just give up you just can't get in there and work yeah absolutely. Absolutely. I I would rather them retreat into those areas and then I work them in some way, shape, or form when they leave or before they get there. If they feel safe there and no one else is bumping them out, as far as I'm concerned, is le- at least they're predictable. I know where they're going. Now, I may not be able to get in front of them or get it beside them or be up a- today, but maybe tomorrow I can't. But Again, you may get in a situation where you've hiked in half the day, you got your backpack, you're smoked getting in there, you set up camp, you're like, okay, i got to recoup. All right, let's see where... And it takes you three days to find the elk, and then you find the elk, and it's the only group that's in there. The worst thing that I can think of is going in on there first time and blowing the heck out of the situation, and there they go. If you know an area is just constantly getting... Pummeled. No, just stay out and just try to work and pick apart the the edges. Or maybe you give it four days and all of a sudden the weather pattern shifts and all of a sudden now you've got a steady downdraft where it's still their their hidey hole. They're still going to go there, but this one moment, it works. Well, now they're in there. You didn't push them out. Go in there and smoke them. Okay? So, yeah, absolutely. There's plenty of places on the map that I just stay out of all right you just you just teed that one right out did you just just tee it up all right so if you're dealing with a herd bull you got a bull that's got cows how do you get him how how do you work that situation especially if the cows don't want to want anything to do with you all right Yes, there are plenty of people that will talk about challenging that bull. Crowding his space, getting in there, closing distance, blowing a big old mean, nasty bugle at him, threatening him, worrying him. People will say, Oh, use a bull calling cows bugle to try. Okay, yes, there's all those people. I don't do that. To start, okay? If I'm seeing a situation where a bull has cows, First thing, a lot of times that I will do, I really do like following following them to their bedding areas. I will shadow them, staying out of the wind. Okay, keep the wind in my favor. If you watch those elk across the landscape, when they get close to their bedding area, they will start to slow down. You can hear you. We've probably all been there if you've ever followed elk, where they're just smoking up the mountain. You're like, I'm not gonna make it. I'm not going to make it. And we can barely keep up. Okay, that's fine. Just keep going if you can. Keep tabs because a lot of times when they get close, they slow down. If you can get in their back pocket and at least be close to when they start to slow down, oftentimes those cows will be the first ones to start bedding down. That bull will be on his feet keeping tabs of where his cows are, but he's still on his feet. If you can get in that situation, oftentimes now we're talking mid-morning maybe, if you can be close, you can crowd him, win in your favor as those cows are betting down. That's where a targeted strategy can absolutely, especially the assembly of you, can work awesome because he's trying to get an inventory of his ladies, and then all of a sudden, what? he's probably heard you behind him follow. He's probably bugled at you saying, we're going this way, we're going this way, keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. And now he's like, okay, one, two, three, got her, got her, and you know, Okay, these guys, yeah, you guys are good. You got, yeah, they're, they're safe. Yeah, hold on. And he's going to come over and check you out. A lot of times you can sucker them out just for him to come up and round you up to get you back into the group, all bed where they need to be. Absolutely. Keep, keep, the, okay. And that's where I just said that four hour. I don't, I don't know if anybody, even the most diehard subscribers, are going to sit down and watch four hours. I mean, that's just not. You know it's not Iron Man, okay four hours is a long time but I'm gonna have to cut it up somehow but that's exactly what I did there shadow 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 call 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 and he was just like come on come on come on every time they'd hit a, a new rise he'd stop and he'd wait and I'm like ah uh, I can't move cows just keep going all of a sudden he'd take off and catch up to the cows and here I go uh, catching up but as soon as they slowed down I just kept tabs keep that continuity Keep that realism. You just roll this whole way saying, hey, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Don't give up now. Okay? Try to get him to sucker out and come round you up and get you back to the group. Sometimes that works. Sometimes it doesn't. Oftentimes when it doesn't, he's going to bugle at you. He'll bed down. You'll hear people talk all the time about that bedded bugle. Okay? Where he just beds down. He just lets you know, hey, I'm over here. We're over here. You're good. If that's the case, if the wind stays consistent, I'm going to stay right there, and now I'm going to switch. I'm going to start to try, and you may even just let it, just let it sit for an hour, two hours. Start trying to sucker a cow out of that group. I'm going to start hitting that assembly mute hard. You might even step it up to a selfish mute. What people talk about, all the, you know, the, oh, the estrus mute. Estrus mute doesn't, ex- doesn't even it doesn't exist. I can tell you why later, but it does not exist. But that real rah, loud, okay? If you need to step it up, and you want to get aggressive because you need to make something happen. That's where you can step that vocalization up. But most of the time, if you just sit there and just just constant hit that assembly, 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 come here. Oftentimes, you can get a calf to get up, come young individual, come, come. You start suckering a cow or two out of that group, that bull's not going to let them wander away for very long before he gets up and goes, ah, where the heck are they going? And he goes over and he follows and tries to round him up, and here he comes out with that group. Now the problem with that is oftentimes you've got that calf or that cow standing right here, or I got lucky and it was absolutely priceless. She walked right, I mean literally from here to that second table. She just walked right by me. Keep on going, baby. And I mean, the wind is doing this. She's doing th- I mean it was like my set had to have been like, i like, I don't know how this is working. And just she just paralleled, just walked right on by. Snap, crack, pop, I'm like, oh, here he comes. He walked out on this side, stood right there, bugled he could have eaten. I didn't have a tag. My, my client had already filled. But yeah, I try to sucker him out. If that doesn't work and I'm down to the end of my hunt, that's when I'll try to pressure him. Maybe glunks or something else. So your, your doorway of stuff that you're talking about trying to get them to come down in, but you're also talking about the bulls that we all know that don't come in. Yeah. So are you changing your doorway and trying to get them closer to him? I will always, if I have the advantage to get closer and I can do it safely, I will always get closer. One of the things that is a problem, today. Oh, so, so in case you didn't hear that question about the doorway principle, if I, am I setting up and just trying to make that animal come all the way down to my quote-unquote doorway or am I trying to get up there and do I move if he's not going to come in? I will absolutely always move and get closer if I can safely, Okay. The closer you are, the better chance you have at actually calling that animal in. I see a lot of folks run into trouble by setting up way too far away. If you've got cover and you can make up, now keep in mind you need to pay attention to what the bull's doing or what the elk are doing. If you call an off a distance, and I'm going to use arbitrary distances, this just use 100 yard. He's 500 yards away. He responds. You test him again, he's 500 yards away. All right, you start making up, and you go 100, 150 yards, you test him again or whatever, and it sounds closer. Okay, that bull's moving your way. At some point, if you keep moving, you're going to run into each other, and there you go. So if that bull is showing interest and he's moving my way, I'm going to be very cautious if I move forward. If he's showing interest and he's coming, let the setup work. If he hangs up and stops and loafs and dinks around, okay, fine. I will move up cautiously and try to close the distance. I'm going to try to get as close to that bull as I can. Every time I move up, I'm going to evaluate where I am. If I move up and I call from here, this is the room that I'm in. And if he responds, he's going to come to the doorway. Where is the first place that he's going to stop and look for me? There. I need to make sure that I can shoot there. Then I get myself set up and I let the setup work. And if he's still hanging up, he's still out there, but he's still a safe distance away that I can move, I will move in a little bit closer. But as soon as you're going to get to a point where you're like, nah, I don't know if I can move any closer without bumping, he's going to see it. Fine. Go back to what we just talked about. Is he showing interest? Yes. Keep it going. If it takes three hours and the wind's in your face, who cares? Where else are you going? You just waited all year for this. Now, unless it's your last day and it's last, I mean, last day of season or last day of your hunt and you're down to the wire, okay, that may be different. But if not, let the setup work. All right. It's getting late. Let me ask one more. Let me answer one more question. Go for it. Elk and range cow. Are they best friends or what? How do they interact. Um, a lot of times it depends that's a complex question because it, it, it If the cattle are in a, in a situation where they're extremely dense, they can push cattle out or uh, elk out. But if the cat, if the cattle are not in a dense arrangement, they're not saturated in area, the elk can move in and around and fine as long as there's food on the landscape. If the cattle have been in this area for a while and there's not as much food, the elk are oftentimes gonna go where the food is better. Same thing with the water. It all depends on what, or if the cattle just moved into an area, oftentimes the the elk will move out and then they'll come back in and get settled in. It all depends on what the dynamic of the cattle are. Look at your situation. Are you just covered in cattle? Okay, the elk may move out. have Have the cattle been in here for extended periods? And they've eaten most everything off, then the elk may have moved out. But the thing is, is sometimes if you've got good feed and the cattle are not that dense, the elk don't care. If the, if the habitat's good and the water's there or whatever, they'll be right there. You can see this all the time down in Unit 9, Arizona, where I go. The cows are in the waterhole, the elk, or excuse me, the cattle are in the waterhole, the cattle move off, the elk come right down, and boom, there you are. However, if the cows have eaten all, uh, elk, or cattle have eaten everything off, elk are going to go somewhere else so just evaluate the conditions on the landscape that you're in and then the timing all right all right i will hang around individually after this until phil kicks us out but if you guys want to leave i understand i've kept here long enough thank you for sticking around this long please by all means if you like this type of inner this thinking this process it makes sense to you do yourself a favor, go check the website, take a card. I've got a pile of them over here. Take a card, check the website, put no limits in there, and it'll knock 20% off. And set yourself apart from every other hunter who's gonna be on the mountain this year. Good luck. Thank you for being here.